Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. My name is Avid Kahn, and I talk about how you can start, run, and sell a bootstrap business. This episode is called Scaling Your SaaS Without Scaling Your Anxiety. Let's get started. I started getting anxious whenever I heard the sound of an email coming in at some point. What began as a genuine curiosity when we founded Feedback Panda was now a feeling of dread. Was it another error message? Is the database having trouble again? Was it another customer reaching out about a problem? Were they writing in because some part of the product had stopped working? All these anxious thoughts would start rushing into my head and they would often paralyze me for a few seconds. I was experiencing alarm fatigue, but I was not yet aware of it. Today, I'll talk about how I changed the way I would react to notifications and errors and these kind of anxiety-inducing things by reframing several thought patterns and by changing the way we ran our company. Many things work perfectly fine when you're just starting with your business, and they will continue to be no trouble until you reach a critical mass. A few emails a day from your error tracking system, no problem. A few customer service conversations popping up, great. Now you have the opportunity to talk to your customers and find out what problems to solve next. You may even have the chance to turn your response into a help desk article helping you in the future. That is all great when it happens a few times a day. And you can handle these slight interruptions every few hours, but after a while, they turn from interruptions into impediments. They will keep you from working on the more significant issues as they distract you just enough to lose your focus. You'll need to find a way to rein in those interruptions. In his book, Indistractable, Nuriel suggests to recognize internal triggers and hack back external triggers. And this is what you will need to do here. You need to reframe your expectations. Over time, you will inevitably build up expectations about how your business should work. You will get used to replying to customer service messages within a specific time frame. If there are technical issues, you expect to have them resolved within a few minutes, an hour at most. Your web application should load quickly and work without problems on your customers' computers. And then comes reality. Four customers reach out within 20 seconds of each other, each one with a problem that will take minutes to resolve. Your video hosting provider suddenly has unexpected maintenance because the cloud hosting company that they use had the fire in their data center. A customer is trying to log into your application from a 20-year-old laptop and they start complaining about seeing errors. All these things happen and it's perfectly fine. That is the nature of a dynamic and complex world. The thing that is artificial and often working against your success, though, is your expectation. The perfectionist in you has an ideal state of the world in mind, and that state does not exist. It is a manifestation of a wish, not a reachable goal. By reflecting on your expectations, you can severely reduce the intensity of your emotional reaction to this non-ideal state of the business. You don't have to lower your expectations. You just need to make them more realistic. Through understanding that things will break and planning for them, your mind will be calmed knowing that there are things and these things are taken care of. Another way to deal with this is to reduce your exposure to external triggers. There is such a thing as alert fatigue. When you get a notification for every single little thing, real alerts will soon become drowned out by the flood of unimportant updates that you receive. 
make sure that only essential issues can interrupt you. For anything else, turn off notifications. You still will want to look into your error tracking system for non-critical errors from time to time, and you need to schedule this time consciously at a fixed time for specific days of the week, or just specific timeframes. Your mind needs to have a chance to calm down. If you're checking your email every 10 minutes, your concentration will never reach the level required for meaningful work. Check these things once a day at most. You still want to make sure your monitoring and alerting systems can actually inform you of real issues, problematic issues quickly. Most services allow you to configure different levels of urgency and they'll enable you to choose different methods of how you want them to reach you. For downtime, we had the service robocall us. That's usually the most effective way of getting my attention, at least, getting a call. And we um, would all, I would also whitelist the number that even if I had do not disturb on, it would go through and actually call me because downtime is something that I would rather be disturbed by. Um, if there's just noticeable service degradation, but it's not downtime yet, just have an SMS dispatched and there might be enough. And for all non-critical things, send out an email when it occurs or in a daily report, that's enough. Otherwise it becomes overwhelming. Notification sounds in particular are a dangerous thing. I developed a physical response to the sound of email notifications from when our system was experiencing a lot of issues. Every email was likely yet another outage and my mind began associating the sound of an email arriving with pain, stress, and panic. I still, to this day, I feel a jolt of dread when I hear an email notification sound years after these things happen. So I'm sort of weird alert PTSD. It took a lot of positive self-talk to get to a point where receiving an email was a positive thing again for me. Technology can be brittle and that is also fine. In the SaaS world, we work with a lot of dependencies and complex systems and these systems are not perfect. In reality, they're not even expected to be perfect. That's why their availability is measured in nines in the IT industry. Nines after um, just the amount of person, like 99.9% would be like three nines of availability, leaving one 0.1% for downtimes and these kind of things. There's always a chance for systems to fail and they eventually will. The best way to deal with this is to build up a reliable alarming and monitoring system. I mean, the feedback panel that we had set up uptime monitoring and error tracking from the beginning. That way we could be sure to know when we would need to react. If you, if, if no downtime notifications were flooding my phone, I would know that things were running smoothly, right? Every new error would appear in the bug tracking system. So I could eventually look into them and get them fixed. And if you use systems, um, can only tell you what we used for monitoring. We used uh, Monitus and for error tracking, we used a mixture of Sentry and AppSignal because we had an Elixir application. And at that point, AppSignal was the only um, tool that had an Elixir application, uh, integration. Sentry had that at some point as well. And it's really nice to have your errors in there and the kinds of errors. And you can track, like if you fix them with an deployment and if they reoccur, if there's a like some, some sort of regression and how many occur and whom they occur for, for, if you have some sort of ID that you can send with your error tracking code, you can actually see which user has the problem. It's really, really useful. Um, that made it very easy for us to react to this and fix them eventually. Another way 
of thinking about this whole thing is to think that if there are experts, you should let them do their job. Because there's another level of anxiety when running a business. It is very likely that if you're building time tracking software, you're not an expert in setting up a secure and future-proof authentication system. You may be an expert in time tracking, but not necessarily in building the world's most stable and unhackable authentication system. Doesn't take much to build a login system that'll do the job, which is why many engineers do this. They think they can do it, but it takes a whole lot of time to create a good one. Entire companies have been created to solve just this part of software businesses. Do you really know enough to build your own credit card processing software? How to safely store user uploaded video? If you think you can save money by quickly creating a solution, you might be right. You may save money then, but it will also cause you incredibly high levels of anxiety later on. And replacing it with a scalable and extendable solution at some point will be quite expensive. I've learned this the hard way in prior software startups. We were trying to roll our own logging system and we suffered when it needed to be rebuilt multiple times due to data model changes as the business grew. In another startup, we tried rolling our own payment system instead of just taking the somewhat costly but out-of-the-box solutions that the market offered. And that business never went anywhere. If you're not an expert in it, do not build it. Let the experts do it. if If you expect your startup to make money, You can pay for solutions to central business problems that are not core functionality of your business. When you're in the middle of running your solopreneur bootstrap business, you will deal with many things at the same time. You will work on new features for the product, then a few minutes on the social media marketing efforts. When a customer starts reaching out, you help them. You make a note to turn your answer into a help desk post. And after that, you go back to the email you wanted to send to that one blogger that might post on your blog and then back to developing that feature. And in some miraculous way, you deal with all those problems. And when your day is over, you have dinner, watch some Netflix, and then go to bed. Rinse, repeat. Over time, when your business is growing, you will get to less and less meaningful work. Most of the time, you will be caught up in communication. You're responding to emails, commenting on social media posts, you're talking to your customers. Your focus will shift from building a long-term business to the day-to-day operational activities. You will feel like you got a lot done, but it's not progress. It's just being busy. You will need to find help, someone to take care of these things so you can make progress again. I did not do that until after we were acquired. It felt like I could handle all the customer support that I had to do as well as the development work. If I look at my software engineering output from the last couple months before the acquisition, it was almost completely limited to bug fixes and small modifications. Where before I had released at least one feature a month, sometimes a feature a week, there was nothing new to show for. Even though the product was mature and We had a clear plan of what we wanted to accomplish still. I did not get to it. Being busy got in the way. During that time, we developed a number of methods to do maximum customer service with minimum effort. And I wrote about this on the blog. There's also a podcast episode coming out here, or it should already be out at this point. It allowed me to at least have some time to work on the product with over 5,000 customers to take care of at this point. But when we finally hired our first customer service person, the effect was incredible. 
immediately, over half of the customer service questions never reached my desk. And for the ones that did, I helped a customer service agent to resolve them and problems of that kind would never again need any of my help. I think it was a week, maybe one and a half weeks of onboarding and support that I had to give to the customer service agent. And after that, there was nothing on my plate anymore. Finally, I had time to focus. And that was important. So find people, hire people. If you think you can handle it, you probably can. And I could, but it's at the detriment of the rest of the business. So you really want to hire whenever you actually need them, right? Whenever you feel like your work at some corner of the business is suffering because you are involved in, in an activity that is not the thing you want to do, find somebody who likes to do it and they will do it and they will do it better than you because they actually care for it. Talking about other people, find people like you. It helps to have somebody to talk to. And it's surprisingly easy to find people who are in the same situation as you are. If you live in a larger city, you might have the opportunity to go to meetups or if you're lucky, there's a startup meetup, uh, a bootstrapper or even an indie hackers meetup in your area. If not, there are online communities like IndieHackers.com where founders can talk about their journeys and you'll be surprised to see how supportive and insightful these communities can be once you open up. Struggling is be part of being a founder. I believe that it's an essential part of growing as a founder and growth comes from being challenged and from overcoming obstacles. Building a business is hard and few people even attempt it. But the ones that do understand that supporting each other is not just helpful, it's a requirement for success. Seek out those people, tell them your stories, and listen to theirs. You will find that your problems are not unique, that people have solved them before, many of them, if not all of them, and that those who can help you solve your problems are happy to share their solution with you. Okay, so what else is there? You've reframed your expectations reduced the amounts of notifications, started thinking about hiring people to do the jobs that keep interrupting your meaningful work, and you've started talking to other founders about the problems that come up when running a bootstrap business. How can you make sure that these issues don't appear again in the future? It boils down to one surprisingly dull thing, documentation. The moment you realize that your company is not just you, but has the potential to involve a bigger team or might be acquired at some point, the value of writing things down increases explosively. We had great success in keeping anxiety out of the company culture by doing two things in particular. First, I wrote a short post-mortem for each incident. I wrote those for myself, never planning to make them public. The documents contained a detailed description of what happened and what I did to fix it. Often they'd also include panic-induced recommendations of what to do to fix this in the future, reading through these documents in a calm moment gives you good insight into the state of mind that I had in these situations. So I chose to to write them very close to the actual incident occurring. From these postmortems, it was straightforward to write comprehensive step-by-step guides on how to diagnose and deal with issues. These kinds of documents were worth their virtual weight in gold for onboarding a developer or system administrator later. Because not only will they then know what to do if the problems occur again, but they will also have insight into the scope of issues that they can expect from the system. That is excellent preparation for new and unexpected problems in the future. Secondly, we wrote down a clear vision for the business. We communicated in that document what we want to accomplish, 
what value we want to bring to the lives of our customers, how we see them, what their goals are, and what they expect us to provide. We learned from that exercise that our customers are perfectly fine with maintenance happening from time to time. Even a short outage wouldn't cause too much concern. That helped us set realistic expectations and prevent the expectations of every future team member from being overly perfectionist. The great thing about this approach is that you never really need to hire anyone for it to be useful. Even if your future self can benefit from proper documentation, align expectations in a system built and maintained by experts, just do it. Anxiety is not a requirement for scaling your bootstrap business. The only requirement is a good approach to dealing with anxiety. And just want to say... Like this is this article has been very important for me to write because it kind of channels all the suppressed energies that I had for years while running Feedback Panda. I think this is a very one of the first things I wrote after uh, we sold the company and I had some time to reflect on on what I did over the time of actually being in the business and anxiety was always one of the the biggest things that was in my way of getting somewhere right the, there always was this kind of fear of what could happen and on the blog uh, at the bootstrapfounder.com slash emotional journey i've started writing about that part of being a founder because i had a lot of emotions coming up that i didn't really know how to deal with at the time and that took a long and arduous amount of thinking and reflecting to deal with right there's there's a lot of things that go wrong there's a lot of things that go right but everything in a business is a guess everything in in a business that you own and that you run where there's nobody to tell you what to do is a guess is an estimate is hope is in some way an unclear choice made for an unclear future of course you try to be as clear as possible but it's never perfect it's never never exclusively positive there's always something that can go wrong some things might some things don't some things do so anxiety this kind of fear of the unknown or fear of what may happen that was constant companion particularly through the time when we didn't have automated systems to take care of all these kind of things and there's been a couple episodes um i think i will make a specific um yeah collection of these things available through a podcast episode in the future of just things that went wrong with a tech stack that we chose our database uh, had trouble our hosting company had 24 hours plus outages like some really crazy stuff there's a lot of these examples um and for each of them obviously we found a solution but at the time not only did it require a lot of work to get it done that was one thing but it also left the aftertaste of what if this happens again but worse right because as a as an engineer you always try to find the edge cases you always try to find what may happen how can i prevent this how can i deal with this in the future can i automate it away at least that's how i approach these kind of engineering decisions and when something happens that you have no control over and that is a database provider just having trouble with the virtual machine that your database is hosted on and they don't know how to figure it out and they don't communicate with you, 
Well, that's the problem because that is one of the things you cannot solve. You cannot just go into the data center and reboot the server. They have to do it and you have to trust them to be able to do it. When a hosting provider didn't work, like we were in constant contact with them, but they didn't know what was going on and we couldn't look into the system because we had no access to it beyond the interface that they provided. So what do you do, right? What do you do as an engineer that is solely responsible for the technical integrity of a whole business? How do you deal with these situations? And the only thing you can do is to make good infrastructure choices, to have backups in place, to have alternatives in place, to be aware of you what you would be doing if everything broke down. That's all you can do. All you can do is be prepared for the worst and know what you would do. Probably won't need to. For the case of a hosting provider, that was the only case where we actually needed to implement our contingency plan, which was moving to the Google Cloud, right? the, their uh, cloud computing service from the service we used prior. That was done within a couple hours. And ever since then, there was not a second of downtime where before there was often days of downtime at a time. That was a great choice, but it was also um, a thing I did way too late. And I think uh, if I were building a business again, I would go about it a completely different way. But again, I'll talk to the, about this in a, in a different episode. The important part is being prepared, having documentation in place, having processes in place, to help you in those moments, I think that's important. So even if you have a stable system and you have a lot of components that work well and have worked well and never had a problem, just think about what you would do, like what steps you would take to resolve problems with this, who you would talk to, what the communication channels are, that kind of stuff. That will lower your anxiety levels, at least afterwards, because while you think about it, your anxiety probably is going to go up. But afterwards, um, it will go down because you know that you have a have something in, in place. When we handed over Feedback Panda, when the acquisition went through, we handed over a lot of documents. And I think our, our standard operation procedures document had around 200 pages. That is 200 pages of how to deal with customer service problems, how to deal with infrastructure problems, where the code base is, like which part of the code base is doing what. And there's there's all these kind of things that are part of the standard operations document. And it was a big document because every time something happened, we really just added something into the document, right? Every time there was a, a problem with some service, every time there was a problem with um, the customers had that was new, we just added it to the document and the document grew and grew over time. So it was great that in the end, I could just have handed this document over to anybody and they could have done my job, both as an engineer and as the leader of the business, as an owner of the business, as the person doing lots of customer service. And that's what we did, right? When we handed over the company, we handed over the document and parts of the document went to the people that then had the jobs that they were replacing us for. And we could have done this before we sold the company, had we hired somebody to do the infrastructure work or to do programming. This kind of part of the document would have gone to them and they could have just really continued where I had left off. Right? That would, would have been the immediate transfer of knowledge that wouldn't have been possible if there was no documentation. 
yeah, long story short, document your stuff. Like I, f- I feel it is important to understand that you don't just do it for other people. You do it for yourself in the future and you do it to make your company more sellable because honestly, a company that's automated and well-documented is a sellable company. You don't need to sell it, but a sellable company is also just easier to maintain. So again, it's important for me to talk through these kind of things because anxiety was a constant companion throughout the journey of Feedback Panda. I'll get to the technical stuff in another episode. And I guess for now, anxiety is gone for me at least. So that's good. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Booster Founder Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Avidkal, A-R-V-I-D-K-H-L. And you can check out the blog at thebootstrapfounder.com. If you want to support me and the Bootser Founder podcast, please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and wherever you subscribe to the podcast. It'll help other founders and founders-to-be to find the podcast and learn more about starting, running, and selling their bootstrap businesses. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. <laughs>